Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Sarah. And you're listening to the Squiggly Careers podcast, a weekly podcast where Sarah and I explore the ins and outs and ups and downs of your world of work and hopefully share some ideas for action, some things that you can do differently with your development to give you a bit more confidence and control of whatever might be going on for you right now. And today is our fourth and final episode in our Squiggly Soft Skills series. So far, we've covered originality, critical thinking, social influence, and today we're going to be talking about stress tolerance. So we'll follow exactly the same format as we have in the other weeks. We will talk a bit about sort of what it is, in case we need a quick definition of stress tolerance, share a quote that stood out for us from the books that we've both read, three things that we've learned an action that you can take if you want to increase your stress tolerance, and then who we think should read this book. Not that I think we're particular gurus in in being able to give advice on that. We're not, we're not definitely not a book club. But I think probably from listening to us talk about the books, you get a sense of, you know, does that feel like something you want to dive a bit deeper into? I've also got some other recommendations based on my read today in case perhaps you don't feel up for reading a book. Maybe you want to watch something. Maybe you want to listen to something. So I've got a bit broader today in some of my recommendations. So Helen, should we share the two books that we've read so that people know where we started from? Let's. So I read a book called Widen the Window, which was, uh, we'll talk a bit more about what that means, but the uh, subtitle is Training Your Brain and Body to Thrive During Stress and Recover from Trauma. And it's by Elizabeth A. Stanley, PhD. Ah, and I read When the Body Says No, The Cost of Hidden Stress by Dr. Gabor Mati, who some of you might recognise him. He wrote a book about addiction. You might recognise some of his book covers. He's done lots of writing and speaking on how kind of the mind and body are related and intertwine and how important that connection is. And actually, this is a book recommended by my sister without even knowing that we were doing this series. So she recommended it at just the right time. And then at times it was quite a tough read. So um, yes, I'm also blaming her for those moments. <laughs> Mine was also quite tough. And when I ordered it, I was like, oh, how can I find a book? We've, you know, we've done podcasts on stress before and I really wanted this stress tolerance thing was the thing I really wanted to mm. dive into. So I thought widening the window would, would be a good topic for that. Anyway, the book arrived and I was like, whoa, this is a big book. And I've got like <laughs> not that many days to 
read it and really reflect on what's the most useful thing for squiggly careers listeners i sent a picture of to sarah of like the book against my head and i was like it's really it's really big and also the type <laughs> is very small i was like doubly daunted by this book but i've i found my way through it and i hope i found some useful things to share with our listeners so should we start off with i've actually got both a definition and a quote that i thought might be helpful shall i start with those well i feel you're like you've top trumped me so yes go go lead the way So there's a definition of stress that really stood out to me when I was reading this book and then a quote as well. So I have actually cheated slightly on our format and want to include both if that's okay. Because actually this word stress tolerance doesn't come up that often. But I think it's really interesting as we explore this topic to think a bit about what do we mean by stress tolerance? I've now got some quite strong views about whether we should be tolerating stress or whether we should be just preventing it in the first place, which is probably a better place for us to be. If I'm understanding what I'm reading right, and at times I'm not 100% sure I always was. But what Mate talks about in terms of stress is he says, medical thinking usually sees stress as highly disturbing but isolated events, such as, for example, sudden unemployment, a marriage breakup, or the death of a loved one. These major events are potent sources of stress for many, but there are chronic daily stresses in people's lives that are more insidious and more harmful in their long-term biological consequences. Internally generated stresses take their toll without in any way seeming out of the ordinary. What I I think he's getting to that, which is really interesting, is sort of the day-to-day stresses that perhaps we accept and have got quite used to and just how detrimental they can be. And definitely his starting premise is our minds and our bodies are inextricably linked. So if you kind of want to look after all of your health, your brain's health and your body's health, we've got to think about how do we not only sort of respond to stress, but I do think when we're talking about stress tolerance what my conclusions have started to get to anyway is going there are things that we can do to prevent ourselves getting to the point where stress becomes a problem for our body because uh, certainly when you read this book there are lots and lots of examples of just how harmful stress can be which I think we intuitively know like none of us think oh it's great to be stressed but having read this book I now take stress much much more seriously than I did two weeks ago. So in that there's like Stress that's really obvious and highly impactful and quite immediate and significant. And then there's almost like the accumulated stress that you might not see, but still can be harmful over the long run. Yes. And I I think not can be harmful, will be harmful. You know, it is 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 pretty definitive. So just 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 before you go on to your quote, just because I'm just wondering whether I might have a a, a, a contrary point of view from the outset. Oh is no! He, I know, I know. Interesting. Is he saying, or is your your interpretation of the book that you read that? No stress is good stress. So I think he would take issue with the fact that there is perhaps something that occurs that's good stress. You know, sometimes we do have that thing of like, oh, it's good to be a bit stressed because it puts us under pressure and it propels us in some way. You know, like, oh, I need a deadline and that's a bit stressful and that is actually useful for me. And I actually think I'd need to talk to him. I think I'd need to dive a bit deeper to really understand you know, whether there is such a thing as good stress. But he mentions it a few times in the book and he does definitely take issue with people who tell themselves, oh, but that's good stress, or tell him that that's good stress, and some of the consequences that that then has on people's like physical health like later in life because they sort of almost become accustomed to, quote-unquote, this idea of good stress being okay. 
Oh, we'll see what my quote mm. is and how it sits with that. Yeah. Do you want me to do my quote? Yeah, then, yeah definitely. Um, so the quote that I picked out, which uh, I will expand on more when I get to what I learned, so I won't talk about it too much more now, is at the end of the book, there are the seven A's of healing. And one of those A's is acceptance. I did really like this quote. Acceptance is simply the willingness to recognize and accept how things are. It is the courage to permit negative thinking to inform our understanding without allowing it to define our approach to the future. And he has really challenged my perspective on negative thinking in a way that I recognize as helpful and useful. And actually in a way that I recognize I have done well in the past. I would almost describe it sometimes as pragmatism but I will I'll dive a bit more into this um idea of positive and negative thinking and how you know some of the assumptions that we might make perhaps are challenged a little bit you tease you're a book tease yeah so as we will see with this book it's not short concise and quotable so I pulled out a few paragraphs <laughs> a few paragraphs so I've I feel got... like you have gone into some hardcore academic worlds oh during the series oh my gosh it's like yeah this is like <laughs> a, a therapeutic book so I've got two paragraphs they're not quotes everybody but I do think they're quite important in the context of this book and and you know it's a long book so two paragraphs is not a lot from it so the first one is actually the thing that I think is counter to what you have read, which I think positions stress as can be positive. So I'll say it and see what you think. Optimal performance, conscious learning and effective decision making are most likely to occur at moderate stress levels, where there's enough stress activation to keep us alert and focused, but not enough to enter our distress zone. With this in mind, our neurobiological window of tolerance to stress arousal is the window within which we are capable of adjusting our stress levels upward or downward to remain over time within the optimal performance zone of moderate arousal discuss yeah I mean at this point I think it is okay to say I don't know because I feel like both of our books from sort of also what you were messaging me about are based a a lot on scientific research and so you know I, I suspect if we had both of the authors here talking to us they would then both say it depends and then cite lots of scientific studies <laughs> so did what you just described to me make sense and did I recognize it like, yes you sort of feel like actually sometimes some of those conditions can be quite useful I just wonder whether there are some of those if that was continual so if we had moderate stress continually day in day out which might feel tolerable and copable with I wonder whether Gabor Matty would argue that will be detrimental over a three-month period, over a year period. So maybe it'd be okay for a day, but if that was each and every day you're going into that zone, then what happens? Well, I think, and yeah, I guess we'll get onto some of our insights, that I think what this book talks about is stress is unavoidable at work, but you're people are aroused by stress in different ways like we have different responses to stress and then how you then manage that arousal is the thing that matters so you can't kind of avoid stressful situations at work and it's more like how you train yourself to respond to that that's important but just because this whole the other thing I really wanted to say because the whole thing about my book is this widening the window so I just wanted to talk about wider narrow windows just briefly so that the insights that I share make more sense of it later on so just kind of one more bit that's sort of like a quote thing and um, people with wide windows are more likely to neuroset danger accurately respond flexibly 
and recover afterwards. People with narrow windows are more likely to neuroset danger inaccurately and cue defence strategies of default programming, whether or not it's appropriate to the situation they are in. So what I interpreted that as is if I've got a wide window, I've got a high tolerance, I can see a situation for what it is, I can adapt how I'm dealing with it, and then I'm able to kind of recover afterwards. It doesn't affect me for long. Whereas if I have a low tolerance to stress, I'm not necessarily interpreting it accurately. I'm just, you know, there's something triggered inside me. And I I sort of respond in a way that I have done before, even though it might not be helpful in this situation. So, you know, I might get defensive or I might rely on unhelpful coping mechanisms like anger or maybe, um, you know, she talks a lot in this book about, say, drinking or, you know, other things that we do to cope with situations. Interestingly, one of the A's of the seven A's of healing is how important healthy anger is. Ooh. Which was one of the, that was one of the new things that I learned. I think I actually messaged you about that. I was like, oh, am I about to find out? It's okay to get angry. I quite enjoy getting angry every so often. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it turns out it depends how, depends how that anger shows up because there is lots of forms of anger that are not helpful. But he would argue that some anger is actually very good for you. This is all fascinating. This is all fascinating. I feel like we're, <laughs> I feel like we're having a debate here, but going, oh, but we're not actually 100% sure. So I, I so hopefully this will get even more helpful as, as we go through and talk about what we've learned. So should I do one of the things that I learned? Yes. Um, because I do wonder whether, as we were messaging back and forth, and you, we were both highlighting paragraphs and going, well, we're getting this wrong and we're getting this wrong. This seemed to be one that perhaps we might have in common. So one idea that I learned from this book is about something called emotional competence. And I hadn't really come across this as, as a phrase. And emotional competence is the capacity to feel our emotions so that we are aware when we're experiencing stress. So you know that's what's happening. To be able to then express those emotions effectively and also to make sure that we have boundaries, like the boundaries that we need. To then understand, I mean, this the amount of self-awareness you need at this point continues to increase, to understand how you react to that stress based on like where you are today but how your reactions might also be based on what's happened to you so far in the past Mm. so like you know your your life so far because you can't separate yourself from your environment today but also your environment in the past and then the final one the awareness of what you genuinely need and kind of need to do versus what you might do because of the acceptance or approval of other people so you, you basically if you are you know, if you're a perpetual people pleaser, or if you say yes to everybody all of the time, or actually he talked in one of the videos that I then watched, because I, I did actually end up going quite deep into some of this stuff, about how, you know, if you're a caregiver, you're continually kind of putting somebody else first, and how important it is for caregivers to also look after themselves to then be better carers. But obviously, that can in some ways feel quite counterintuitive if, if someone isn't isn't very well. And he goes on to talk about this idea that When we're emotionally competent, it is probably the best preventative medicine we can have in terms of stress. So that ability to sort of understand and express our emotions, not repress them or get defensive or all those other things. And that often emotional competence is is quite a hidden stressor. So it's sort of not something that we talk about, you know, not something he's like, we should be teaching our kids to talk about emotions, which actually I, it then made me think I have seen quite a lot more books I think I've got some of these about emotions that I've like talked to 
my son Max about. And I think, you know, trying to have those more open conversations about, you know, if someone says they feel sad, I think you might previously have gone to your kid, for example, oh, no, don't feel sad. But they're like, yes, but they've literally just said they feel sad. So actually saying, oh, you know, I understand you feel sad. It's okay to feel sad some of the time, you know, almost like accepting those emotions and encouraging people to express them. And I can imagine previously, I hope I'm a bit more emotionally intelligent than I was previously, almost suppressing an emotion because you don't like it. Mm. You know, like I don't want my son to be sad. So you go, oh, no, you don't need to be sad. Or if they're scared, oh, you don't need to be scared. So you're basically telling them that their emotion is is not okay. So the first thing apparently we've all got to do is have emotional competence, which I feel like is hard to do and easier to say. In this book, there's a bit that I I highlighted because, you know, I love things that rhyme. And it said, like, sometimes people are good at dealing with stuff, but not feeling. So it's like you're dealing, not feeling. Mm. Or sometimes people are very good at feeling, but not dealing. And I was like, oh, where, where where do you sit on that? And then also just a child's story. And I can see my daughter looking at me from the kitchen and waving at me now while I'm recording this. I was sat reading this book on the sofa last night and my daughter Madeline was sat next to me. And I said to her, Madeline, do you know what stress means? And she said, oh, mummy it's when you're unhappy or angry and I was like okay interesting enough and then I said this is a bit that made me a bit upset I said oh what would you do if you felt a bit stressed if you felt unhappy or angry and she said I'd go run into my room and cry and I was like no darling talk to me like I was like you should talk to me I'm literally reading a book here that says you but maybe that's okay as her first reaction Max actually has something at school now which um is amazing where they go in they have like a wall chart and every day They've got their own little sticker with their name on and they they can put how they're feeling. So are they feeling calm or excited or sad or they'd like to have a chat with somebody or angry? And it's not like any of them are, there's not like good emotions or bad emotions. They're just encouraged to, you know, take their little badge and just say how they're feeling that day. And I was like, oh, that's, that's probably why they do that, I guess, because they yes. know this stuff. <laughs> really nice. I guess um, Ben Williams, who's been on our podcast before, has written a book called The Commando Mindset, has um, a business called Lupin where you can do that in teams, like every day in teams, people can say like how they're feeling and it just becomes a, like a habitual part of how the team works so we don't have to... So it sort of normalises sharing the stuff. But yeah, interesting insight number one. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Insight number two is about abandoning our attachment to what is often described as positive thinking. And I was attracted to read this because I would describe myself as a positive person. So I was like, is my positive optimism making me more stressed? Like, I really hope that's not true. And actually, it's not. What what he is describing is the ability to understand and include all of our reality in like how we understand the world. So he describes it as trusting ourselves to face the full truth whatever that full truth may turn out to be. And he sort of says it's almost less about sort of positive thinking and being more like positive being. And it means that we've got nothing to fear from the truth. So if you are being, for example, positive, and that means that you are avoiding confronting hard truths or things that you wish weren't true, then actually that that is stressful. You're almost like inducing stress. Whereas actually, if you are saying, well, this is hard, yeah, there's some good stuff, but you're sort of, you're seeing all of the world as it is. And that actually is better for you than being really, really optimistic. Because you would think, let's say when people are very ill, and there's lots of case studies of people who are very ill in this book, just as an FYI for people thinking about reading it. Actually, the people who have sort of, are just like overly positive, don't do as well as those people who can sort of actually embrace negative thinking. You know that thing of it's sort of it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to have a bad day. You know, if you sort of persevere regardless, it's really bad for you to do that. And actually in one of the videos, and I was like, that's quite interesting and I do think you can make this a bit more upbeat, but he reads obituaries out and then he talks about how we're almost valuing the wrong thing like in our lives and in our work. So for example, he would read out, oh, let's say Philippa never worked until the last moment. And he was like, well, that's the last thing that she should have been doing. But she was doing it because perhaps she was caring for, you know, for other people. Or, you know, this person was incredibly committed and, you know, did five different things for over 50 years. And he was saying, like, really think about like what it is that you are doing. And is it sort of increasing or decreasing that sort of stress tolerance? So you know, and I thought about it for us. I was trying to make it really practical for us at, at work. We have found in the past, and it still sometimes happens today, people would describe you and I and Amazing If, and they'd be like, I don't know how you do so much. That should actually be an alarm bell, I think he would argue, to say, well, you doing so much consistently is actually just going to really, really increase your stress levels and make you much, much more likely to have health problems and health challenges. So if you want to stay well, and if you want to live a long life, that's not something you should feel proud of. What you should feel proud of is, you know, having a positive impact, being able to feel like you are spending time with your friends and doing things that keep you fit, you know, all of the balance that we all search for all of the time. And, you know, and to our credit, I gave some credit at this point, Helen, we did actually both intuitively recognise that that wasn't necessarily a good thing. So when people were saying it, being very kind, they were like, oh, you put out so much on careers or you do so much but it did make both of us stop and reflect didn't it It made us both go oh is that really is that really what we want people to saying about us that it's sort of 
almost like volume and quantity. Actually, we both recognise oh, we want it to be about quality. Now, we might have said that for slightly different reasons, but actually for our own health, it is better for us if that's not sort of what we're committed to in terms of our value. So I think when you're thinking about your stress tolerance, almost kind of thinking about that thing of, um, you know, like how would people describe you who work with you? And I was thinking back to some people I've worked with, who, you know, who just seemed perpetually stressed, who never seemed to take a break, who were available at all hours, who were like 24 seven, you're like, it's so bad for you in terms of if you kind of knowing that your mind and your body is all intertwined and you can't separate yourself from your environment if you want to stay well in the kind of fullest definition of wellness that kind of idea of thinking just about like well, what matters most I think is is really interesting it's really, it does it definitely makes you reevaluate parts of your life or how you live your life when you when you read the book it's quite deep and meaningful as you can as you can tell they were quite heavy reads <laughs> no, this week yeah it what they were quite it was quite a heavy read some chapters I have to say were a bit were a, a tiny bit too heavy for me um and then the third area which actually I have come across before and I really like it as a you'll have to tell me is it an analogy or a metaphor but just how stressful it is to pretend and I've come across this before this idea of almost our personalities being a bit like a rubber band at rest so when we are sort of just being ourselves like me and you now chatting I'm just my rubber band is at rest let's say you add in a little bit of stress into the podcast. So maybe I'm interviewing someone I've not met before. My rubber band, you know, stretches a little bit, but it's still quite far from snapping. You know, I probably feel a bit different to when I'm with you because I've known you for such a long time, but it's okay because our rubber bands can stretch in different directions. And then we return back to sort of the safety of, of kind of who we are and just kind of being ourselves. But if we are spending lots of time pretending that just takes so much from us it sort of snaps that rubber band and I was thinking about that in terms of belonging at work you know do you feel like you're having to like fit in or be a you know chameleon in any way again just how bad that would be for your stress and also recognizing he says that you can be lots of ands so you can be strong and ask for help you can be powerful and confident in some areas and feel like you're starting from scratch in others so not feeling like we have to sort of only define ourselves as one thing and it just it really made me consider you know the wear of work so there's lots written about sort of toxic work environments and we all intuitively get it's not a good place to hang out if you're somewhere where you can't be yourself or it does feel toxic or you're working for someone who where it feels really hard and I suppose what this reinforced to me is just how bad that is for you you know, for all of your health, if you feel like you're working somewhere where you are pretending, where you're sort of not able to be yourself, if you feel like that rubber band is snapping, and it sort of snaps quite frequently, sort of knowing that you're making a really good decision for yourself to do something else. And often that can feel really hard, because you can feel trapped and stuck and quite lost. But you know, the, the best thing you could do is sort of reach out, try and talk to someone else, try and do something else as practically soon as you can. And if you're ever on that fence about like, oh, will it be worth it? I sense reading this book, you're like, it will absolutely be worth it. Not only in terms of just hopefully enjoying your day to day more, but in terms of just looking after you and your health. So that was my, um, that was my reflections. (laughs) It is quite a lot as you go through. I mean, there were genuinely chapters where I had to like reread paragraphs 
There's still some bits I don't quite understand properly. This is why I then ended up actually down a rabbit hole of watching him deliver quite a lot of talks. He is a fascinating speaker and I will make sure we include links to some of his speeches in the show notes because he did a great speech for the How To Academy. It's just over an hour long. You know, if the book's not quite for you, I think you can hear him talk about the book, the key ideas in the book. And actually he's really compelling, very scientific, but also sort of funny and gives loads of really good examples. So I've sort of enjoyed continuing to dive deeper so I feel like I am really really scratching the surface with what I'm sharing today but it was it's definitely been like a good start you know sort of reading that book I'm like oh it's a really good start to make you reflect on stress and you definitely would prefer to prevent it than to have sort of lived with stress for too long because then I think if nothing else what the book emphasizes is if you do that there are potentially some very serious consequences to then your physical health. Over to you. Over to me, right. Are you going to be a bit more cheery? Um, I'm going to be very practical. I actually have tried to practical. I would say the book is, it doesn't sound quite as, I don't know, demanding. I mean, it's demanding in terms of the content, the amount there is to read. At times it's a bit confronting. Like I think I saw myself in a few of the pages in terms of unhealthy coping mechanisms. I was like, great, great work, Helen. But I've tried to um, (laughs) share some things that are sort of practical, I suppose. You can let me know. So insight number one, I just thought in the context of this book being about widening the window, I thought it would be useful to just think about like the window we might be starting with. And there are certain things that narrow your window down and it might just be interesting for, so don't beat yourself up. If if I say these things now and you think, oh, I don't think I've got great stress tolerance, it might just be because your window is starting quite narrow. And um, so there are three things that are significant in terms of what might narrow our window. The first, childhood stress and trauma, very significant. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the same. So you have a lower tolerance for stress if you have um, experienced significant stress in your childhood. And Bruce Daisley, when he was on Force, you talked about the ACE score that you can do if you kind of ever want to score yourself on that kind of stuff. Second is adult shock and trauma. Basically, too much and too fast. So you might have had the happiest childhood in the world, but if you've experienced adult shock trauma too much of it too fast that can very rapidly narrow your window so right here right now you might not feel like you're coping with stress because of that kind of rapid situation you've been in or the third thing is duration so too long and too often so maybe you had an amazing childhood maybe you've had no adult shock trauma but maybe you're in a job that for quite a long time has felt stressful lots of disagreements lots of difficulties and then all of a sudden that might have narrowed your window down so it's just maybe just have a think through as you're listening like what has your experience of those things been and just basically don't beat yourself up if you feel like you're not coping very well at the moment with what might be going on in work maybe it's just because you've experienced one of those things which has narrowed your window down and it's very normal was kind of my first insight my second is about stress and its impact so I think we often talk about how stress feels and we use words like burnout and you have those sort of um, sort of physical and emotional descriptions of it, which I think can sometimes, again, can feel quite difficult to hear. Like when I hear about you talk about that book, it almost makes me feel emotional about reading it, but almost just a bit more tactically, like what is the impact of this stuff on our work? I found this quite interesting. So when we are stressed, we gather less information. We become more biased towards the negative we're more likely to accept the first workable option. We rely more heavily on stereotypes. We don't analyze complexity effectively and we make more mistakes. 
And I thought it was just quite useful just to think about, oh, that's the difference it makes to how I show up at work. So we know what it feels like. It feels hard and difficult and upsetting and all the all the kind of words we associate with it. But, you know, like, okay, so I take the easy option just to get it done. I'm not curious because I just try and close down. I accept what's been done before and stereotypes that might, you know, I might have seen and heard because it's just easier. And I, I just, I found that quite an interesting sort of list to reflect on that, oh, when I feel like this, this is how I might show up at work. I thought it was quite interesting. Essentially, it is almost impossible to be at your best and be stressed at the same time, mm-hmm. I think. So whether you look at it more from a, you know, the way I've described it with more emotionals and almost some sort of more perhaps deep-seated concepts or really practically, like how how well am I going to perform today? Almost like the, the more stressed you are, the lower your performance will be. Yeah. And even if it's not that day, it'll be the next day. And then the third insight was about regulating your stress arousal, which you might debate with me on based on what you've read. So if you can regulate your stress arousal, so this is how you respond when you are stressed in a situation, it can help widen your window and rewire your brain. So let me give some examples. I haven't quite worked out the difference between being hyper aroused and hypo aroused. I haven't worked that out, so just bear with me. But if you are hyper aroused by fear or anger, for example, what she recommends you doing is basically you have to release this excess stress that you've created for yourself. You know, the anger or the fear, you've got to get it Mm -hmm. out somehow. And she says, do it with a high heart rate activity. So like do some running, do some dancing. You basically got to get it out. And then you need to down-regulate with say something like breathing or meditation or journaling. So it depends what your natural reaction is. But I guess if you're fear and anger, you wouldn't, her point is don't go straight from expecting high fear, high anger into, you know, meditation. Like you've got to get that energy out before you try to downregulate. And then she says, if you are hypo aroused, and this is like, she talks about maybe shame or depression, then you need to upregulate with something like going for a walk or listening to music or cooking, like one of those activities. And I guess the thing that I took away from this is she in the book, there's this skillful choices hierarchy. And so I think you need to personalize this because, you know, going for a walk might not be upregulating for me, but probably listening to music would be. And so it talks about like, when you become stressed what are the things that create stress so for me it's rarely anger I don't really get angry but um confrontation disagreement like too much challenge that or maybe you do get angry and you just suppress it oh yeah maybe so maybe I've been been suppressing it for a very long time it's very deep-seated if I do maybe one day you're gonna have like an absolutely massive outburst at me I've had it what's just happened um I think you just get a bit frustrated anyway you can uh, you can kind of see like so less skillful choices also what are your less skillful choices so mine might be I might go I'm really stressed I'll have a drink that is a less skillful choice or whatever it might be like what are your less skillful choices and then what are your more skillful choices that might be like we'll go and listen to music or read a book or have a conversation with someone I trust and I thought thinking about the situations that create stress for you and then also what are your more and less skillful choices might be a useful thing for people to reflect upon. Yeah, I think that sounds that sounds sensible. I have to say, I did simultaneously start reading another book at the same time as reading When the Body Says No, partly because I'd been sent it and partly because I was like, it did feel like a very good counterbalance to the book because Gabor Mate, is a, he's a doctor and obviously he's worked with 
lots of patients who've been very poorly and he's done it over a long period of time. So I also read The Good Life. (laughs) And I was like, I can't just include two books when we're talking today. But that is also really interesting. It's one of the top 10 TED Talks of all time. So I'd encourage people to go and watch that because what I was starting to get to very practically and this is probably just because where my brain goes and probably yours a little bit as well, is I was thinking, okay, if you want to increase your stress tolerance, though I perhaps do have a problem with that as a statement, or like just prevent stress in the first place, is I I perhaps find a better way of framing it. Like, what are the actions we should be taking? And like, for example, when you read The Good Life, you very quickly get to just how important relationships are. personal relationships, professional relationships, giving back through relationships. And I've read that before in Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And he he talks a little bit about how when we lose connection, you know, we lose a lot of happiness and you become more stressed. And so I definitely haven't got to a definitive, nor, nor would I definitely be the right person to do this, of going, well, what are the, you know, five things that we could all do to help to prevent that stress? But you do start to spot themes and threads. And I think it's something we'll definitely keep coming back to is going well at work in particular and in in your career in your squiggly career I guess the stress is inevitable because of the amount of change and choices and the complexity so you you can't probably prevent all stress that's probably feels really unrealistic but you probably can do some things to minimize some of that stress and then there's probably some things you can do to respond to the stress when it comes your way and I think that's the frame that I started to think about like I say without having all of the conclusions, but I was trying to get it back to squiggly careers. And I was thinking, okay, there are some things to proactively do. And then there are some things to reactively do. And so moving on to actions, Sarah and I had agreed that we would identify one action each as per the the structure for these conversations we're having. So we don't ramble all day about what we've read. However, I have two, Sarah, I'm really sorry. I have two actions and I think they're really important. Well, then you go first. Okay. So the first action that I took from this book, which I did and I found useful, is called the contact points exercise. And it's all about your personal signals of stress. So again, the premise of this book is that stress happens and it's like how you deal with it. So it's not avoid stress at all costs. It's like it happens. Tolerance is how you deal with it. But if you don't see the signals of stress, you might not be able to deal with it as or respond to it as, as quickly or proactively as you could. So the contact points exercise is you sit on a chair and you need to be grounded, like so feet flat on the floor, sit on a chair. And then this is the hard bit. Think about a situation you find stressful. And you just talk about almost like a scale of stress, like what would be a 10 and what would be a five? And maybe don't go mm-hmm. to the 10 straight away because you might be you know, re-engaging that situation. But think about a situation that you find quite stressful and then sit on the chair and like basically think that situation through so I might be like oh an argument I had with Sarah a month or two ago that felt really difficult and you sit on the chair and then you basically think about that situation like get it in your mind and then almost like assess your body like where are you feeling that stress are you breathing faster is your heart beating you know are you scrunching up your hands like where are you feeling it and so when I reflected on the situation I really felt it in my chest like I was like I was thinking about it and I felt like my upper body had got quite tense and my chest had got really uh, challenging and then I thought and this is what she talks about think about that I don't really have that many health problems but when I've had them in the last like five years it's been chest related hasn't it and so you know she Mm -hmm. was she would basically say that is if I'm in a situation where my chest is sort of tightening, that is a signal of stress that I shouldn't ignore. And I thought, you know, whether that works for you or not, even if it worked for five people, I think it might be an exercise worth doing if you're listening, because it definitely made me reflect on that a bit. 
Well, I was chatting to someone the other day and um, I get migraines, which I've, I've talked about before on the podcast. And yeah, I've, I've always had them for, for a long time. And for a period of time, they were particularly pronounced. So I got them more frequently and they were particularly bad. And I was absolutely adamant. I was like, my migraines are not stress related. You know, I was, I was really like really dead set against that ever being part of the contribution to them. I was like, I think they're caused by different things. They're incredibly painful. But I was like, I don't think they're stress related because everyone sort of goes, oh, it's stress. But I've, I think it's because I was quite negative about it. I was like, I feel like that's a cop out. I don't want it to be that. I want it to be something different that you can sort out. But when I reflect back on that, and I still get migraines now, so, you know, they've, they've not gone and I still have some stress in my life. But when I think back to when they were really bad, that is probably the most stressful time I've had in my life in the last 10 years. And you're like, oh, right. probably was a bit to do with stress. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, and you're like, it, and actually also having read this book, it really made me reflect on that. I thought, yeah, do you know what? There was too much. And actually it wasn't, as he described, it wasn't one big thing. It wasn't like, oh, I suddenly lost my job or I suddenly split up with my partner. But it was reoccurring daily stress. It was a stressful commute. It was the stress of being a new parent. It was a distress of not feeling like you were succeeding in a job. It was the stress of working with someone who was quite toxic. And it was all of that all at once. Oh yeah, surprise, surprise, physically, you're in a worse place than you were. And actually, though things have still been stressful over the last year or so, the amount of migraines I have had has been a lot less. And so you start to feel like, okay, well, you can't, and he talks a bit about like chronic pain and stuff, you probably can't get rid of them because they're sort of part of like there's something I have but I probably can dramatically reduce them you know if you think about your conditions because you can't separate yourself from your environment Mm -hmm. so I'm sort of reluctantly admitting that a few people who might have tentatively suggested that that was a thing were probably right right. Um, my last idea for action is about how you can widen your window in your working week uh, which they do not call it. They call it planning 2.0, but I thought that's how I, I read it. Um, and so there are six things to this, which I'll run through quite quickly and we'll summarise in the pod sheet so that you've got them. Um, and it's really about planning, planning your working week so that you widen your window. So number one, make uh, decisions, important decisions when you are in your window, not working outside of it. So if I'm feeling stressed mm-hmm. and stretched, not a great time to make decisions about my career development. So work, you know, think when you're in your window and make your decisions then. Number two, build in balance. And she talks about when you're thinking about your working week, it reminded me of that um, corporate athlete article that Harvard Business Review did ages ago. Talks about building in balance, physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual. And those words might mean different things to different people, but you kind of get what they are. And think in your working week, have I got a balance across those kind of areas? Number three, choose your trade-offs. Talks about the importance of agency and autonomy. So I look at my working week and I might think, well, in order for me to have, if I'm going to build balance, I've got to fit in physical exercise. Therefore, I need to choose a trade-off in order for that to happen. So I might say, I'm going to finish, I'm not going to have any meetings after 4.30 this week so I can build in that balance. And the fact that you are choosing those trade-offs increases your autonomy and agency, which is important for stress tolerance. Number four, create some white space. So if you want to widen your window, feeling like you're completely flat out doesn't help. Giving yourself some space within your week, really helpful. So where's the white space in your diary? Fifth, it says block out some time to sort the squeaky wheels. And as an example of what that might mean, they do say like um, like a messy desk. I'm currently looking at a messy desk, but that's not very helpful. My squeaky wheels are also like just family stuff. Like, so, oh God, I've got a 
sort out swimming and I've got to fix this. And if that's on my mind, it's hard for me to concentrate. So squeaky wheel for me is like family stuff that needs sorting. And so basically block out the time. You know you know it's going to happen and it's probably going to create you stress if you haven't got the time to do it. So put that, that time in the diary. And then the last thing is cluster similar tasks together, particularly in terms of the energy that they need. So if you've got, you know, high doing activities or high thinking or high collaboration, try in your working week to create those things together. It's just a bit easier for you and your brain to do. That's, I think that's really useful. And it makes me think actually that the two books, we haven't read each other's books. We, we always record these having not read each other's books they probably have more in common than perhaps we first thought. You know, as you were listing all those things, I recognised a lot of those themes, but I just wonder whether the books are written from very different perspectives, maybe from different starting points in terms of how they've approached stress. But there was a lot of common themes there just listening to you. I think I think that was really helpful and very practical because my action was actually to do with something that we've not talked about a lot today or I've not sort of dove into, but very practically just the importance of boundaries And I know we've talked about boundaries in a previous podcast episode, but boundaries give you autonomy. And one of his seven A's of healing is is autonomy. So feeling like exactly as you've described, I've got autonomy. I've got, you know, the locus of control that we've talked Mm -hmm. about before. I've got some control over my day, over my week. And if all of that control and autonomy and you feel boundaryless, just kind of how stressful that is. So maybe my action was I was thinking, well, what would you... You know, what's the one small change you would make in your week that would just increase your autonomy and sort of set those clear boundaries that are boundaries that you want to set that kind of genuinely matter for you? So who do you think should read your book, Helen? Because you you have an incredible ability to make every book sound very practical. You're so good at picking out the, this is what we should all do, just listening to you. I don't know how you do it. But you did describe this to me as um, a relatively sort of full-on intensive read. So is this is this a book for everyone? No, I don't think it is. <laughs> and I think I do, I honestly work really hard to find the ideas for action in here. Um, you did very, it, I thought you did very well today. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Um, and it's not yeah. like, I do think it's a good book. I honestly think, ironically, I feel like you have to be quite resilient to read it. So do you know, if it, like weirdly, if your window is quite narrow, this is probably a book you need to read, but I think it's going to make you, it's harder to read it because it's quite confronting. Like you see yourself in it. And so I think just be ready to, if you really want to dive into this stuff and there's a lot of detail that I haven't gone into, then, you know, it's a, it's a really well-informed and well-researched book. But I think just feel like you're ready for it because it is quite confronting and it does go into different stories and it does talk about trauma more than I've brought out in in the dis- like discussion today. And I would say exactly the same for mine. So if you have got somebody who is ill in your family and, and I actually do it at the moment, I, I wouldn't have recommended it. I wouldn't have read it if I had realised just how many case studies there were going to be of people who are who have kind of very, very ill over the long term. Do you know what I would actually read if I was thinking a bit about stress tolerance? I'd read Fortitude. Hmm. Because I still I see some of the work that Bruce did on bringing together the research on, you know, choices and control and autonomy. Yeah, he he does reference things like the ACE test, which we, we talked about today. And so I think fortitude is very readable. And I think you understand from that sort of what what contributes to stress, but also what you can do to take it away. So even though, you know, Bruce doesn't necessarily frame it through stress, I actually think if you read that, you go, well, I appreciate here how I can sort of look after myself and sort of do good work as, as a result in a sort of in a practical way. And he, and he does draw on the research really well. And I would listen 
to Sam and Catherine talk about uncertainty on our podcast. You can also listen to Bruce um, if you prefer to listen rather than read. And also I would look at Liz and Molly's work on No Hard Feelings. So they're either follow them on Instagram or LinkedIn for all of their brilliant illustrations. Or their other book is called Big Emotions, I think. It is, yeah. I think I've got that right, yeah. And they definitely go more into this area that I talked about, about, um, you know, like emotions are important and we've got to learn to express our emotions and suppressing them or expressing them in a way that isn't useful will definitely contribute to your stress like way more than I'd realized before kind of reading these books or watch some of the videos I will make sure that how to academy video of Dr Gabor Matty is part of the links because I found that really interesting to watch and much easier than reading lots of case studies of people who are very very poorly but it is fascinating and it's a book I think I will keep coming back to and it's one of the few books that has made me you know, it definitely expanded my knowledge and then has made me search for lots more. You know, when you feel like, oh, okay, I've, I have literally scratched the surface here of really understanding stress. But I think what you do get to the conclusion of is your mind and your body are connected. And if you are stressed, it is it is sort of good for you in, in no ways, especially if you feel that kind of reoccurring stress, it will only get in your way. But as you've described, I think when you're in it, it can feel really hard to get out of it. Mm. But maybe you maybe you know someone, maybe you can be the friend who can sort of support someone gently through finding their way through to the other side. And then when you've got a bit more space, I think that's often when you're in the best position to figure out how you maintain that mm. position. And so what we will do, because I think this is a big topic and we want to make sure that everyone's got the support they need. So there'll be the pod sheet. So lots of the insights that share Sarah... So lots of the insights that Sarah and I have shared will be in that pod sheet, the different ideas for action. I think what we'll also produce for this week is a podcast playlist because there are a lot of other resources. Mm. And given that these are quite two very deep reads, they might not be right for everybody who wants some support with stress and stress tolerance. So we'll include all the things that Sarah mentioned and some of the resources as well on a podcast playlist. And we'll put that on our LinkedIn page. So that's the Amazing If group on LinkedIn. And we'll also put it on Instagram at Amazing If. So if you if you would like some extra resources, that's where you'll find those things. So we hope you've enjoyed the Squiggly Soft Skills series. Uh, We always like to experiment with different formats. We're always thinking about how we can make the podcast useful and continue to be relevant to you and your squiggly careers. If you have any feedback, you can email us anytime. We're Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com. And we love hearing from you. We love your feedback. We love your ideas. And we just really like you to say hi. If you have got a moment and you've not left us a review or subscribed or given us a rating, all of those things do really help us. So it's definitely a five minute favour you can do for us. But that's everything for this week. We'll be back next week with an Ask the Expert with David Erickson. He'll be talking about doing by learning. I interviewed David and he wrote a brilliant article that really inspired me quite a few years ago. So he has been on my Ask the Expert wish list for quite a long time. So I was so delighted that he said yes. He's a really smart, interesting and insightful guy. So I think I think that'll be a great listen next week. I look forward to listening. But bye for now, everybody. Bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.